Welcome to Archery Country Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Archery Country Podcast. Today, we're going to sit down with the boys at Waite Park as we're going to answer the questions if you've ever thought about out west hunting. They're going to go through and talk to Brandon and John about their trips out west, their experiences, everything from applying to tags, digital scouting, what's on their pack list, tips and tricks for out-of-state hunting. So sit back and relax as the boys from Waite Park take you on the Archery Country Podcast. We've got Brandon, Adam, and John. Guys, how is it going? Real good. We're doing pretty good. Fine. Yeah, how was your day? My oh. day off. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> I guess we'll start with that. Yeah. How was your day off? Good. Even better now that I'm here. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. <laughs> John, how about yourself? I'm doing real good. I'm, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> awesome. Brandon? Yeah, good. I'm excited about this one. This is going to be a pretty fun one. You know, I'm pretty interested in this. I've been trying to get into it, but I'm kind of confused on the process a little bit. I mean, there's so many different topics to go over with this thing to figure out if I'm doing it right. Last year, I tried buying a point to go out of state. And as far as I know, I think I bought myself a point. I might have bought someone else a point. I have no idea. But that's what we're doing this podcast here for today is uh, we're going to get some things figured out. We've got John and, and Brandon. You guys have actually gone on quite a few out of state hunts. Right. A couple here and there. Yeah. And then, Adam, you're kind of in the same boat as me, maybe hunted mm-hmm. Wisconsin a little bit. Well, I was a Wisconsin resident, so it wasn't out of state necessarily. Well, let's say it is now for the purpose of oh, this show. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm just here soaking all the education because we constantly have people coming into the shop talking about applying for licenses, and it's kind of confusing depending on like, what they're hunting, what state. Hard to keep track of. Exactly. There's a lot going on with this topic. So let's kind of dive into this a little bit. You know, I want to start out with, uh, I don't know, with John or Brandon, whoever wants to start, but uh, like, what what is the first step you guys are going to do when you're like, okay, I'm going out of state? Do you, do you pick a species first or where are you going to go with that? Yeah, I think that's, you know, for someone doing it for their first time, obviously that's the first step. You know, what, what do you want to go hunt? Is it a spring turkey hunt? Is it an antelope hunt? Um, elk, mule deer, right? Whatever. So you've got to plan or figure out what species you want to go to, and then you start narrowing down the states. Is it something that you're planning two years out, five years out? You know, maybe then you start buying points. Or if you're a lot like me, what am I doing next week? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, if it's a state where, all right, I'm going to do this trip in three years, maybe you're planning it with a buddy, right? So if you're going on a whitetail hunt or an elk hunt or a mule deer hunt, if it's three years out, maybe it is smart to get points and build up a few preference so that you can get into a better area when you do choose to go. If it's something that you're going to do, you know, this year or you want to get into this year right away, there's a lot of opportunities for over-the-counter stuff. So that's kind of step one, species and then figuring out the state. And are you going this year, are you going next year, right? So then, okay, with with the point thing, kind of like, can you dive in a little bit more on the point system? Like, are all states the same with their point systems? Not even close. No. No. I mean, you basically need a law degree to, right. to figure out one to the next to the next to the next. Um, and, and in different states, point systems work differently between bonus points, between preference points, and then like your true lottery system. So you can't always plan out exactly what year you're going to draw a tag. Uh, in like a true lottery situation, you, you draw when you draw. Right. Right. And then even within within those states, let's say you're going to Colorado, Wyoming, mm. it's not just the state itself, but there's units in those states, and there's many of them. So now you have to figure out some units might take 10, 20 years worth of points. Some units are over the counter. Some units take one point. Right. So you got to you got to dial that in. And it's a little tricky at first to navigate. But after for me, anyways, doing it for a few years and same thing with you, John, now it's it's pretty easy once you've been doing it for a while. You know, you get used to it. You get used to navigating these different Colorado's website, Wyoming's website, the Dakota's website. So you start getting used to that. So it's not maybe as as difficult as what it seems, but when you're first getting into it, it can definitely be intimidating just because they are, all the states are different. 
Mm-hmm. And then using your resources at hand to help figure some of that stuff out. It's very, very easy nowadays with the different websites, be it, you know, Go Hunt, The Hunt and Fool, right. uh, a handful of other ones, right, that help break down unit by unit, state by state, as far as like what the terrain is like, what the animals you can expect are. Um, and some of them, there's a membership fee to them. All of them that I know of, uh, there's like a membership fee to them. But for guys who are trying to plan something that's three, four, five years out in advance, you know, be it a, a 40th birthday or, hey, guys, we got a group together. Let's all let's all just put in and, and do this together and kind of start the process. Um, there are tools that can be used aside from just the state's websites. But you, you go to, you know, the Dakotas, Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, all these out-of-state places, right? All of the information is on their website somewhere. You just have to figure out where to click on it. You might spend right. three, four, five nights in a row going through page by page and just spend a little time. You know, every uh, family's in bed. You're not tired yet. Whip out the laptop and go on, you know, Colorado's website and or, you know, whatever state you're planning on going to. What species you want to hunt? That's kind of your first thing. Figure that out. Okay, where are those species living? Let's say it's a whitetail. All right, we're going to do Kansas. Let's get on Kansas's Fish and Game Department website and click through it, read through as much stuff as you can. A lot of things can be dissected right there. Mm-hmm. So like when you guys started out, did you start out just by going on the websites or did were these tools like, what did you say, Hunting Fool? What was another one? Yeah, like Go Hunt is another Go website Hunt. that has a lot of stuff. Yep. So were those available to you or did you guys just have to learn from like scratch? Like what, what I do guess, I need to do? I guess for me, when I first started, um, maybe some of that stuff was around, but I first started, I guess, just doing it by myself. But that was going to North Dakota whitetail hunting, which was over the counter, you know, so not and that's statewide. There's no units. So not a lot of stuff to figure out too much there. And then as I, for myself, as I progressed, it was more, it was more so getting on the websites of those states and just figuring it out. And then I did get a hunting fool membership as the years went on um, to help me with a little bit more, hey, now that I want to go to this area, what would you guys recommend? What elevation should I hunt? And, you know. So would you say that like the hunting fool and all this stuff, is it kind of a, it just helps break it down? It does. So yeah. you can understand oh, it better. Oh, it makes yeah. it just more, that much more convenient, I guess. Yeah. And for, for a first time person, if you're just like, man, I, I don't even want to spend hours trying to navigate these sites and learning it, you can get a hunting fool membership. You can call those guys and they can just figure it all out for you. You can just tell them, I, I want to go on a whitetail hunt or an elk hunt or whatever that may be. I want to do it this year or I'm planning for three years and they will just walk you through, yeah. hey, here's what we would recommend. This is what you got to do. I mean, and it's that's kind of pushing the easy button, right? Incredibly easy resource to use. You yeah. get on the phone with them one time, yep. you talk to someone who knows what they're talking about, and you can spitball anything and everything right. you want to. Right. So with, uh, with the point system, are you basically, each state is different, right? With their point system, like, or is it sections and states that are different with point systems? No, it's more the state itself. You know, like, for, so for myself, and I know, John, you put in some different stuff, some same, like the North Dakota mule deer license or the any deer license, that's a bonus point. So if you don't draw when you put in, you get a bonus point, which a bonus point is giving you the next year then just an extra chance, right? It's not guaranteeing you anything, right? but it's giving you that extra chance. So you could potentially draw two, three years in a row with no points or... You know, you might not draw for a couple of years, even if you have those bonus points. It's only giving you extra chances where, as say Colorado, that is a true preference point state. So they allot the tags to whoever has the most points. So if me and you are putting in for the same unit, you have five points, I have three points, you're going to get that versus me, right? So sure. they, and depending on the unit there, again, it could take 20 points, 10 points, five, zero, right? That every unit's different within the state. So you have to figure that out a little bit too. But can, with with the different states, when you're buying a point, can you can you buy multiple points per year, or no. is it just a no? It's one at a time. It's one at a time. I think the only exception there is like Arizona. Once you have bought f- like five years in a row, I believe it is, they give you a loyalty point. So you skip five and you go straight to six. And as long as every year you get a point, they they give you kind of that one freebie. Oh, that's kind of nice. 
That's but it takes a lot of points, <laughs> I would imagine. Right. Yeah, that's kind of that's right. kind of an out there one. Right? Yeah, and then even Wyoming has where, so if we have the same points, let's say me and John are putting in for the same tag, we each have seven points. Wyoming gives you the option to buy the special permit for deer or elk or antelope, which it costs you more money, but that actually gives you a preference over the guy that's just putting in for the standard price tag with the same amount of points. So it's going to cost you more money, but it, in a sense, it's jumping you up, you know, a, a half point or a point, you know, per se. Adam, are you soaking all this in? So you really... No. <laughs> no, because... I think the point game, like, the points is just... Honestly, it's confusing, right? Yeah. So there are better resources than probably what we're spitballing here, just throwing random states out that with the information available, a guy can Google this or, you know look these up on his own and, and probably find more information viable to that. I just know the little bit I've done so far uh, last year with buying a point. I bought I don't know, Wyoming maybe. I can't even remember what I did, but I just I found that a little bit like tedious. Like, what is going on? What am I doing? So I wanted to kind of touch base on that point mm -hmm. buying system because it seems like it can be tricky. And it seems like for a guy like me, I probably need to go through one of those hunting fool or whatever it yeah. may be and i think uh i think the hunting fool right now they have like three different memberships and i i think it starts at like 50 bucks 100 bucks and then 150 and you can get different things with that um but it's really money well spent to I be able to get started yeah absolutely especially for the first time person looking at starting to get into hunting out of state hey what do i do how do i figure this out that's about as good as it gets right there and Even if you did it for one or two years just to figure out the systems and aside from that, there's a lot of OTC or over-the-counter tag right. options available in a lot of states that, you know, a guy doesn't have to necessarily plan as far ahead for that you are, should, be, should be or could be utilized by a lot of people. In your guys' mind, what would be, like, for someone just starting out, just trying to, you know, buying a point, but being able to hunt that year maybe? and starting to get their feet a little bit wet with this whole thing. Like, what's a good state to start with? What's what's more easy to get into, I guess? Yeah, and I would say that depends on the species. Right. I mean, as far as, like, a whitetail hunt or a mule deer hunt. Whitetail, mule deer, antelope, antelope, I would say, would probably be three good ones to pick from. Mm -hmm. what, what would be a good state? I mean, it, uh, part of it comes down to the amount of time that you have to dedicate to it. You know, if you only got three or four days and it takes you 24 hours to drive somewhere that probably eliminates that. Right. Um, Nebraska has a lot of really good over-the-counter options. The Dakotas, Wisconsin. Um, I think there are some over-the-counter options in Montana, if I remember correctly, for archery stuff. Yeah, and it, like for elk, if you're going for elk, I would say Colorado's probably the best place. They have a ton of over-the-counter units for the first-time elk hunter. They have a high population of elk. So if you're going elk hunting, I would say Colorado's the best to do it right now. Um, whitetail hunting, yeah, you got Wisconsin, Missouri, Nebraska, mm -hmm. the Dakotas, you know, a ton of states actually that are over the counter. Okay. Other than Iowa and Kansas, depending on the unit, you may or may not need a point. Um, you know, Nebraska, the Dakotas, Missouri, Wisconsin, those are all guaranteed. You just buy them. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of states, Ohio, Illinois. I mean, a lot of these places carry good whitetail numbers and, and plenty of, like, public land options. It's just a matter of doing a little bit of research. Right. Speaking of research, that brings me into my next uh, topic here. So you've got your state picked out. You've got your points. You're headed, say, what you love hunting mule deer, right, Brandon? Yeah, well, both me and Yeah, who do doesn't? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's kind of your wheelhouse, though. Like, if you if you can only hunt one animal the rest yeah, of your it'd life, it'd probably, probably mule deer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, with that, let's say you're going out west. You're going on your first mule deer hunt. Yep. You've got everything lined up. Where do you start with, like, your maps? Or how, where, yep. how are you picking a unit? How, how do you know where to go? Well, so, like, the Dakotas, it's statewide. Right, so if I was going to Dakotas, it's statewide. So when I'm looking at maps, I can look at, you know, really the whole state. And so then it just comes down to picking out, you know, I usually go in with like five, six different spots, you know, plan A, B, C, D. You know when you get out there, if you're looking at Google Earth, Onyx, that's usually what I'm on. Um, so I'm looking at the lay of the land, maybe a water hole. Is there food? Is there bed? What kind of draw systems? 
but when you get out there, you know that you're either going to run into, it's going to look way different than what you thought, or maybe there's going to be more hunting pressure in some spots than you thought. And for myself, I don't really like to, you know, compete with other hunters. Mm-hmm. So I would rather just leave a spot that I know is better. If there's other guys hunting there, then, you know, that's their spot. They beat me to it. I'll go to plan B or plan C. So you've got multiple plans got multiple in the back plans. pocket. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And most of all of my scouting anyways, and I probably for you too, John, is usually done online. Google Earth, Onyx, right? You're just looking at these aerials. There have been some trips in the past where I've, I've had time to make a two or three day run in the spring. You know, use it as a little shed trip, but more so it's scouting for that hunt. Um, looking at the land, obviously is better if you can, if you can get out there and pre-scout, even if it's only for two or three days, just yeah, to actually just lay to, your eyes yeah, on it, see what the land looks like. Obviously that even if you're seeing deer or whatever game that you're going after, it's probably going to be totally different come hunting season, but you get a lay of the land, what things look like, but not everybody has that, you know, that option. And I, and to be honest with you, I really don't either anymore. I got two young kids we are busy at work. So it's really hard to take off mm-hmm. two or three days and travel across a state, maybe two states to do a scouting mission. So for me, most of it now is just all done online. So just out of curiosity, when you're out there, say you're on a pre-trip scouting trip, like when you're looking at that land, I got to assume that the Dakotas is way different than here in Minnesota. I've hunted deer in Minnesota my whole life. I kind of know what to look for out there. It's wide open spaces. Right. Like, what is it you're looking for out well, there? Well, and actually, for, say, the first-time guy going out there, another good tool, which I've done before, is if you're going to, let's just since we're, we're talking North Dakota, right? Like, we're going on this mule deer hunt. Mm-hmm. Call a game and fish officer out there and pick their brain, right? They're usually pretty helpful. Where are most of the mule deer at? What should I be looking for? What are, what are they feeding on? You know, what's the terrain look like that I should be hunting? If you call an officer in these states, they're generally more than willing to help you out. That's fantastic. So that's a great tool to use that's free for anybody. Um, you've drawn that tag, get on the get on the phone, and you know you can go online right on these states' websites, and you can find multiple conservation numbers You know for the officers. Just call as many people as you can and ask questions. How about you, John? Kind of the same, same system as Brandon, or do you do anything different? Yeah, it's very similar. Me and Brandon have done a couple out-of-state hunts together. Yep. One. Yep. One out of state hunt together, yep. not a couple. Right. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just a matter of, you know, pulling what you know about deer and then, you know, obviously going to a new area, things are, things are a little bit different. The first time I hunted Dakota is the first time I hunted Kansas. I had an idea of what I thought looked good, um, from an aerial map and, you know, back in the day, pre on X on everybody's phone, um, you know, you got like a paper atlas right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So this paper atlas and then you would pull up Google earth and try and find all these sections and zoom in on them. And sometimes you can see trails on that or, you know, what you think would be bedding area. And then of course, when you get there, everything looks a little bit different, but like what I would do back in the day, I would take those areas, maybe, maybe on the old black and white printer, print out a whole bunch, write the road names down across them. So I knew which one was what, and I would number them uh, different highlighter colors based off of like, all right, if, if area one looks good, once I actually get there, area four, seven, and nine down the road, you know, have the same kind of terrain features that I can tell on Google Earth. So if if one ends up being really good, four, seven, and nine are really good too. If number one looks like junk once I get there and it is just a beaten down pasture with four trees in it and it looked way better on Google Maps, I can I can eliminate, you know, four, seven, and nine right down the road also. I'm not even probably, I might drive by them, but... I'm not even going to waste my time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's always different. And I think, um, being able to go back to the same area a few times over helps dramatically. Um, you learn things every time you're on an out of state hunt and kind of keep your, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for expectations in check, you know, um, a successful hunt doesn't necessarily always have to end with a a bloody Mm -hmm. arrow and a grip and grin. You know, yep. the first time you go on an out-of-state trip, it's a it's, there's a learning curve to it, no matter where you go or what species you're hunting. Even if you're a diehard deer hunter right here in central Minnesota and then hunting prairie whitetails or western whitetails, there are just differences there. How they use the terrain, how they use the wind, which, you know, might take you a little while to figure out. But if you start seeing, you know, the last day of your trip is almost always better than the first day of your trip. 
because you're learning things as you go. And if you can apply that knowledge, even if you don't shoot something, all of a sudden next year, uh, you know, the off-season scouting that you do on Onyx or on Google Earth, you know, maybe you find a few more pieces where, oh yeah, when we hunted this piece, it was really, really good. There's a couple down the road, you know, 10, 20, 30 miles that they kind of look like that, but they look a little bit better maybe. And you just use that. You expand your knowledge, you expand your base. All of a sudden you're finding these little, you know, honey holes. I feel like that's probably one of my biggest hurdles with going out of state. Like I start looking at stuff. I kind of start looking at maps and it's like, but man, I don't know if that's going to be, is it even holding animals there? I don't. And then I kind of trip myself up and then I end up not doing it. You know what the best thing to do? What's that? Buy that tag. Yep, I agree. Once that tag is in your pocket, you're going. Your right? mindset changes. When you have that tag, you're going. So no matter what, all then all of a sudden you're spending more time looking at maps because you already got that tag, right? Mm-hmm. So literally, just buying that tag is that first hurdle for so many people. I feel mm-hmm. like. Yeah, we deal. We talk to people all the time that are. I'd like to do it, man. That'd be awesome. You know, we're telling maybe about our trips and what we're doing, and you can tell they want to do it, but there's that hesitation of, it's the unknown. I'm a little nervous. Yep. You know, you're not scared to go, but you're nervous. It's something different. Am I going to have a bad trip? Am I going to see anything? And I think you need to look at it, like you said, the first year, the goal shouldn't be, you know, necessarily punching your tag, but learning and using that as actually a scouting mission too. You're hunting, but you're scouting. You're learning for next year. And that's one of the big advantages of going to a state, whatever species you're hunting, that you can hunt it every year. So whether that's an over-the-counter one or maybe it's an area that takes zero points that you can just draw every year, you can just keep going back and back. And maybe after two years in a row, three years in a row, you're starting to learn more stuff. Now you're now you're getting to be very successful and you're starting to punch those tags. Not that it can't happen on year one, but you know, so you got to go in with that mindset too that I don't have to fill my tag to have a good time, right? You're out there to see some animals, see new country, um, hunting just fun in general and, and the learning process of it. So if you go in with that mindset, it's going to be a successful trip no matter what. Just out of curiosity, how many years have you, Brandon, been hunting out of state? Um, r- I would say roughly 20 years or real close, 18, 20 years, something like that. John? Uh, 12. 12? Yeah. And Adam, what's what's been the one hurdle? Why haven't you gone yet? Probably just that fear of I'm going to spend a lot of money on these points or whatever that all entails, the license, the time to do it. And then am I going to get an experience that I can't get in Minnesota? And so going to Colorado on an elk hunt by myself, I feel like I would not know a single thing about which direction to go in. And I'd be spending a lot of money, a lot of time away from home. Mm -hmm. And again, it'd probably be a big learning experience. But then there also hasn't been like that serious bucket list but now i'm getting older i can totally see why like my dad wanted to take me out to elk camp and carry on that tradition see the same scenes that he saw and get deeper and deeper into that and so now i'm starting to think what about mule deer not a whitetail hunt that i could do in minnesota even though it's probably different across the river or a state border how about mule deer hunting that's an animal that i think is really pretty it seems fun to hunt uh, you cover a lot of miles. A lot of it's just, where do I go? And so like when you guys go out to Dakotas, for instance, or even most like break, break down your out-of-state hunts is majority of that public land. Absolutely. Yeah. And so like when you go to Dakotas, how big of a mile radius are you hunting? Are you just keep it on like a couple sections and just try and really hunt that hard? Or are you spending an hour and a half from base camp yeah, and a lot of that, probably the same for you, John. A lot of that just depends on the year. Mm-hmm. Um, things can change. You got a dry year, you got a wet year. Um, just the crops change in some of these states. So where the game is at is where you got to go, and that can change a little bit from year to year. Um, I know for myself when I'm out there, we put on a fair amount of miles. So from, say, your base camp, whether that's a hotel or you're tenting it or an Airbnb, whatever you're doing, we may drive 20 minutes one day to hunt a spot, but we also might drive over an hour to hunt a spot, right? And kind of anywhere in between. And a lot of these states have a lot more public land than what we have here in Minnesota and mm-hmm. bigger tracts of land. So you don't have to uh, you don't have to worry as much about other hunting pressure. Generally, you can get into a piece, and if you walk a half mile, mile, 
you start getting away from everybody and, and go keep going from there. Because that's always been a fear. Whenever somebody talks about public land, I always think about the typical Benton, Stearns County, Morrison County, wildlife management area, gun season especially. It looks like People Black Friday everywhere. parking lot. Yep. Right. And it's like, why would I drive 12 to 25 hours just to see that same site? to get pushed off something. So I always assumed that when you went out of state, it was usually an outfitter. Like what you saw on TV, which isn't always an outfitter, but you know, you're spending big bucks to get on guided hunts, private land leases. I think cost is one of those things that guys get in their head like, man, I can't go elk hunting unless I spend 10 grand. Right. Or I can't go mule deer hunting unless I spend eight grand. Or I can't go on a sweet whitetail hunt unless I spend five grand. Right. And that's just baloney. Right. It, I mean, yeah, and if you can afford those hunts and go on them, that's great. Yeah, I'm more, sure you yeah. have a good time. Yeah, but, I'll go with you. <laughs> right. So, say I wanted to go to North Dakota, just picking a state, and I want to go mule deer hunting, or put it this way North Dakota or South Dakota for mule deer, which one would you say try first? What would you recommend to me? Oh, that's going to be a tough one. Quality is probably a little better in North Dakota. Opportunity is a little higher in South Dakota. Yeah, you I know, agree with I that. would say. Yeah. Um, and I would say either or. It's kind of a good way to get your feet wet. It's not that bad of a drive kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's one more guy putting in for a tag. Now I won't draw North Dakota right. this year again. <laughs> well, and then how would I go about that? Are those You said those are over the counter? Or is that a point? But it's South statewide. Dakota is as long as you buy it by a certain time frame. North Dakota you have to apply for, and it's kind of like a, a lottery with a bonus point system. Yeah. So is, that, is that like just archery or is that both like gun hunters too are doing this we're, as we're well? talking all archery all archery all, all archery. yeah this is all archery. well let's talk archery i'm sure i'm sure the gun rifle stuff is probably very similar um i would assume maybe a little harder to draw i guess i don't know but for the like you're not competing with these guys that are trying to go with gun are you no i mean you can look right on their website and see when their gun season is and avoid it if you want to or hey if that's yeah. when it works for you to go I mean, I've been out there during gun season and not had any worry. I had very little to no competition, and there's a lot of guys just driving roads, and you walk another half mile, mile in, and there ain't nobody in there. Nice. That's, that's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. So applying for points, depending on the state, South Dakota, North Dakota, you said South Dakota, you don't have to as long as you buy that tag before a certain date in the season. So that's one hey, my August or September, November, October opened up this year. I can buy this tag. Say we're talking January time frame. Yep. We're going hunting South Dakota. North Dakota, is that something where I need to plan? You know, three years from now, I'm probably going to try and do a hunt. Oh, you would, yeah, you should draw that in three years. But so like North Dakota, you have to, there's a deadline you have to apply for it. Mm-hmm. So, you you know, you put in for that and you may draw it even on your first year. Because it's a bonus point. It's not a preference point state. So the, the point you get is just an extra chance. But you go in on your first year and draw it, yep. you know, if you're lucky enough. And what's the cost to that? Um, if I remember right, I think North Dakota's 250 To apply? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's 250 to apply, right? And then if you get that tag, you know, you've spent 250 you got the tag. If you don't get it, they give you all, I believe it's a full refund, or they may keep a few bucks. I'll be honest with you, I don't. I put in for so many states that I don't remember off the top of my head, but I know the tag itself is 250. I think it's slightly more than that. Is it more than I that? think it's still sub 300, but I think it's a little more than 250. 280 or something. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere, Some, in there. somewhere in that area. But if you don't get it, you get that money back. If you do get it, correct. of course you're not. So Correct. Because that's contrary to what I thought it would be. I thought it'd be a couple hundred bucks, donate to no. North Dakota Fishing <laughs> Game, a couple hundred bucks more. Don't worry, you're going to get it at some point, and, you know, real no. soon. Just keep sending your money. Yeah, just keep <laughs> sending your money to the address at the bottom of the screen. and Yeah, and actually going back to the cost of trips, I kind of, before this, I made a just a couple lists of what some of my trips have cost mm-hmm. for different a couple different hunts. Um, so one, people are talking about the mule deer. So like a North Dakota mule deer hunt, and I figured 250 for the tag, so maybe it's a little more, maybe it's 280, right? But lodging for like six nights. So usually when I go, it's a six, seven day trip. I'm just kind of averaging this. I'm figuring most guys would go for like a week, right? Um, so just staying at a hotel. This is two guys going. So I usually go with my hunting buddy. So you're splitting the cost of the lodging, splitting the cost of the gas. Um, I don't have food figured in this. Generally when I go, we pack a cooler, bring some sticks of summer sausage, making sandwiches. You might buy a sandwich at a gas station or go mm-hmm. out to eat here or there, right? But for the most part, we bring our own food. So total on that trip with a 
figuring a 250 tag, six nights uh, staying at a hotel and gas, 700 to like 800 bucks is usually what I do that for. Cheaper than Disney World, isn't it? Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's the full trip. That's yeah. one out there for six days, tag, hunting. You can bring that cost down pretty quick depending on the time you're going. If you want to right. camp, right. you know, boom, there goes your hotel fee. Now you just got gas and tag. Yep. And I kind of figured that's 300 cool. bucks on lodging. Oh, splitting it, you know, bad. splitting it with another guy. So like John said, if you were willing to tent, sleep in your truck, what, you know, whatever you may be doing there, I mean, you could, you could get that down to four, 500 bucks right. even. And then you shoot something that you don't want to mount on the wall. It's even cheaper yet. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's awesome. Um, I figured in like a, a Wyoming antelope hunt. I've done that before. Now this is just doe tags. So their doe tags are pretty cheap. They're like 40 bucks a piece. Um, last time I went, I bought three doe tags. And we went for two nights in a hotel and then gas, which Wyoming's a little farther. But so for three tags, three days of hunting, two nights of staying, four to 500 bucks for the whole trip. Wow. And that's three animals per person that we were able to harvest. That's pretty, it's pretty inexpensive. And I think like John said too, I think a lot of people are, that's one of the the hesitancies. Mm -hmm. They kind of have that whole, man, it's going to be so much money. Yeah. Yeah. But I my first elk hunt I went on, I paid for it with tips from delivering pizzas. The, the entire thing, gas, my tag, my fair share of, you know, all the food that we brought. I mean, it was, it was sub $1,000. Now, that was, at, at a time, that was when you could buy a cow tag in Colorado, and the cow tags were like 250 bucks versus a bull tag right. was like 560 I don't even know how much they are now. I just pay for it when I get it and... It's one of those things you just write off. You don't want to think about, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, so the first elk hunt I went on was, I know I spent less than a thousand dollars and we, you know, I had cash and we all put an envelope for gas, you know, pre credit cards weren't really the thing. And that's how we did it. You know, it was a lot of fun. Great I just, experience. I just want to kind of circle back real quick. Uh, you were talking about lodging and stuff. Have you guys ever camped? I know you've said you've stayed in hotels and whatnot. Yeah. But have you ever camped? I have not, but John has. <laughs> Would you recommend the whole camping over the hotel or? You know, that really just depends on when and where you're going. Um, you can look at historical weather data for like years past about the week that you're going. And then it can be totally different when you're there. Um, I have <laughs> I have had camping trips that really suck. And I've had some that, you know, were, were quite pleasant. Yeah. Um, you know, figuring out, you know, like a, like a state park campground kind of thing. Like, you know, you probably have 130 bucks to stay there for five nights. They've got showers, bathroom. I mean, really you're just sleeping in the tent. Cause during, during like the day, you're not at that campground. Any hunting trip I've been on, be it whitetail, mule deer, elk, right. you know, if you're really getting after it, you're not just hanging out at camp chilling. That's not what you're there to do, or that's not what I'm there to do. Right. Yep. So Really, from pre-sun up to after sunset, you are not at camp at all. Right. Um, be it middle of the day whitetail hunt, you might be moving stands for looking at the future forecast for two days ahead of time, three days ahead of time. What direction is the wind going to be out of? And I'm either hanging sets and hanging stands for two, three days ahead of time or scouting a piece, walking a piece, you know, hunting till whatever time in the morning. There's a couple hour break. I'm going to get out, hit the road and drive by another piece. Maybe I get in and walk it a half mile, a mile, just see what it looks like. See what it feels like. Is there a good deer sign? If not, I'm right back out into the truck onto the next piece. So, you know, if it's colder weather, late October, early November kind of thing, a uh, hotel, hotel might can be, the way be to go. worth every single penny. And it's nice to have a hot shower. It's nice to be able to just microwave food. You can pack a little bit differently. And that's kind of just something you should do. Like on, on my pack list, I have, I have pack lists for like different hunting trips I've been on. Right. And they go from, you know, tag to my weapon, to my optics, to my clothing, headwear, footwear, sleep system. And that all changes. I have different ones that I've had like printed out on Google drive that change depending on, you know, if, if we're staying in a hotel, I don't need to bring a camp. Uh, you know, I don't need to bring tent. I don't have to bring something to cook with. I don't have to bring, you know, a lot of stuff. But if we're not staying in a hotel, then, you know, you got to be able to bring stuff to eat. You got to bring stuff to sleep on, you know, cot, no cot, depending on what kind of tent you're sleeping in. And you just edit it based off what you want to do. If you want to do things on the economical level so that you can do more hunts 
which is something I'm a big fan of. Like I love hunting. I want to get out there as much as I can and get as many opportunities as I can. Then that's an option where you can cut your cost down. Maybe you can do one extra trip that year. Nice. So I want to keep the ball rolling here on this because I feel like we could dive into so much of this and just go real deep with each topic. But okay, we got our unit picked. We got our state. We got our species. We're ready to go, right? What kind of gear? What's what's like your from your must have? Do not forget this. You have to have this. To oh, I wish I had one of these with right now. Must have is going to be the tag. That is always the very first thing on my pack list for every trip I have been on is the tag. I may or may not have gone on a trip one time, got a few hours away and had to turn around and get that before. So now my pack list starts with the tag. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, bow hunting, obviously you want a rangefinder, you want your binos. You know, optics is key when you're going out west. Obviously the license and in your bow, right? I think that's maybe the two big that's, priorities. That's the two most important. I would say everybody knows that, but you're going to want to have a rangefinder. You're going to have binos, good boots. If you're doing a mule deer trip, whitetail hunting, even when you go out west, you're probably walking a lot more. Yeah. Do you bring multiple boots? I do. Absolutely. Yep. I'll usually bring three pairs of boots. Three. Um, I do. Yep. Yeah. You, and like, depending on where you're going, not only boots, but like, okay, I'm going to have the, like a lace up set maybe a rubber set. What if it's way wetter this year than what I thought? What if I end up hunting more of the swampy ground where I've got to cross a river or a creek? Uh, chest waders are something to think about if you're having to cross water. I mean, footwear, it's not like a huge range on my pack list, but it's pretty vital. Yeah, and for anyone listening to this, you don't, if you're a first timer, you can you can get by on one pair of boots. You don't need to. Right. We, we may go over kill because we have the equipment um, and we've been out there doing it and we know that, well, if you run into something, maybe your boots got wet one day, dry those off and wear a different pair the next day, right? So we've all ran into that over time. And if you keep doing it, you'll, you'd understand and you'll get more equipment, but you don't need to have all that. I know w- with talking about the footwear stuff, I know I've heard some guys go out West and they're hiking and hiking and hiking and hiking, right? They're putting on miles and they're like, yeah, these boots I just bought for this trip, they're, they're in the trash that burned through them. Is there any certain boot you guys have found that like really stands the test of time i think we actually have the same set of boots i'm pretty sure we do the crispies i wear the crispy nevadas crispy laponians you got both those yeah so yeah we run the same ones and i've I've had those for a lot of years antelope mule deer whitetail i wear them for everything no sore feet at the end of the day no they've been i mean both me and john there's been days we put 10 plus miles on them or just walking a couple hundred yards to a tree stand whitetail hunt Mm -hmm. and they're comfortable. They're good. I also highly recommend a set of Crocs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, if you got to take everything off and cross a creek or cross a river in a warmer temperature or just Oh, like, like you're bringing them on the hunt. Uh, sometimes. Yeah. They're, they're not back at camp. You got no, them with there's, you. I've been on a few hunts where we're like a few miles deep and then they're strapped to the outside of the pack and you can strip them off, you know, take your pants off, take your boots off, take your socks off, put your Crocs on, cross a river, cross a creek, and then just have like a comfortable camp shoe. Like when it's nice to take your boots off and- you get up in the middle of the night and you got to take a leak. You don't have to lace up your boots. Yeah, that, that's something I wouldn't have thought of, bringing crops. No. At least no. not in the hunt. I could see lounge around a hotel room or the campsite, but to bring them on the hunt, yeah. rifling yeah. through a pack. It's, and it's like on a crops. certain kind of hunt. Like They're not there all the time by any means, but they are something that is on all of my pack lists. Yeah, yeah and then as far as other equipment, obviously your clothing is important, and that's going to depend on your research. You know, Are you doing a September hunt, an October hunt? Is it a November hunt? The colder it is, probably the more the more different layers and the more clothes you are probably going to have to have. But being prepared for, and that's just doing research on yep. whatever state you're going to, look at the average temps, average forecasts, what kind of rainfall, or is it pretty dry? And that'll give you a good idea of what kind of equipment, you know, to, to bring with. Yeah. So kind of the gist of it, I mean, basically, you guys are taking with what you use here at home, basically. Absolutely. Yep. Well, and, and a little extra. You know, like both of us on our trips, we're bringing a backup bow. We're probably, you know, like I said, we're bringing multiple pairs of boots. You're probably bringing multiple. Multiple jackets, multiple pants, multiple base layers. I know myself, I'm an, I overdo it. Yeah. I have a lot of equipment. So when I'm going on a trip, I'm pretty much just bringing it all with just in case. Well, you never know. Right. And I generally use less than half the stuff I bring with, but I have it, right? But you have it. Yeah. So, 
You just never know. Yeah, because you could be on a early November hunt where you're expecting highs in the 30s, low 40s kind of thing, lows down in the single digits or teens, and all of a sudden you get a week and it's 65 and beautiful and, yep. you know, to be able to have more lighter weight layers. So, yeah, we, we bring excess stuff, yep. but I'd rather... I'd rather be prepared for when I'm there than be like, gosh, darn it. I wish I had this piece and it's just sitting at home. It costs you nothing to extra to bring it with. It's just going to sit in a tote most of the time anyways. But Has that happened to you? Oh, yeah. I bring a lot what's, of stuff I don't What's use. one piece you forgot that you were just like, oh, man, if I only had that right I, now? There was one year I went to South Dakota and I forgot my binos. Oh. Binos? <laughs> on, a, on a whitetail hunt. But the spot that we were in, you could see most of the stands you could see at least you know, two, 300 yards or farther. I mean, toilet paper rolls work, right? Yeah, man, that was, <laughs> that, that was tough. So I have never forgotten them again and I never will after that. That was, it was hard to not have them. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I've ever like forgot something that was like a necessary piece of gear. Although this past year on one of the mule deer hunts I went on, I did forget my, uh, uh, phone scope case. So I like to be able to throw my phone on my tripod or on my spotting scope to be able to like take videos, take pictures. Yeah, I've seen I, some of those videos. Those are pretty yeah, cool. I have it. I have all the all the stuff for it. And I I had the, no, I had the case on my phone. I didn't bring the adapter ring. That's what it was. So you'll turn around for the deer tag, but he won't turn around for the No, not for phone. that. I won't turn around. But uh, I went on an elk hunting trip, um, I don't know, maybe like eight years ago or something like that. And I I hadn't bought a certain piece of gear. And it really bit me in the butt. And since then, basically I got home and I, I bought it the day we got home, even though I, I knew I wouldn't need it the rest of the year. But I told myself I will never go on a hunt without that again. And that was rain gear. We had like three straight days of rain and it was brutal um, to the point where it kind of affected our hunt enough where we had to get off the mountain, drive an hour to town, find a laundromat, put coins into a dryer for two hours, and then... The nice thing was we were able to go to a diner and get a big greasy burger to <laughs> refuel on calories while everything was drying out. But I literally got home and bought rain gear the next day. And that has come very useful now on other hunts that I've been on. Yeah, see, I'm kind of glad you brought that up because now I've gone through quite a few different uh, rain gear suits. I have still yet to find one to keep me dry. Like my seams are either soaking or some way or another I get wet. Mm-hmm. what what kind what kind are you guys using and are they working for you i, I think there's know. there's different ways to approach it depending on the hunt that you're going on there's lighter weight rain gear for if you're doing more let's say western style hunting to where you know ounces add up to pounds and pounds kind of suck to carry around all day mm, right yeah so a lighter weight rain gear system is nice in that kind of an environment to where you hope that thing lives in your pack the entire week and you never need it but you get a rain shower. Maybe you get three straight days of rain, right? Um, so in that case, like I, I think it's a cloudburst system from Sitka is what I have uh, for my rain gear, and it's their lightest rain gear they make, right? It's a little noisy, but it weighs absolutely. I think the jacket weighs twelve or fourteen ounces in the size that heavy. I wear. Um, and the pants are a little less than that. Kind of one of those systems that can pack real easy? Or? Yeah, it packs down to like nothing. So typically what I'll do is I'll actually vacuum seal it before the trip and put it at the bottom of my pack. And if I never need it all week, hey, that's awesome. I carried around an extra, you know, pound and a half, two pounds the whole week, and I don't even know what's there. Um, but if you're doing more like whitetail hunting or hunting around home, right? So like rain gear for the average guy that's just going to hunt around home. If it's raining that hard... He's probably just not going to go. He's going to sit at home, enjoy the evening on his couch. Right. Um, but there is like their Thunderhead system from Sitka. It's a little bit heavier. Everything weighs more, but it has such a quiet face to it that like in a whitetail hunting situation, it keeps you dry, but you can draw. It doesn't make any noise. The It's amazing how they were able to make a fabric that's waterproof. Like typically you think waterproof and you get that yep, every exactly. time you move, right? So it's got a brushed face to it that pretty amazing how quiet it is yeah and i actually run the the downpour the sick of downpour jacket and pants which is actually pretty similar to the thunderhead as far as overall weight and that's actually their quietest stuff and that's why i like it it's just a little like thicker weight it's a, it's a little heavier i wouldn't say it's you know it's not heavyweight stuff but it's definitely heavier than yeah than john's than cloud the cloud burst. Burst. Yep. Yeah. that's that's super light um but this stuff's a lot quieter so a lot of times like when i'm going out west 
usually it's you know late October, November, where you're not going to get a lot of rain usually, and maybe more snow than rain. Um, but I like that stuff because it's quiet. Yeah. You know, drawing your bow back if you are maybe you're hiking in it or you're having to move in it. It's just super quiet. It's the quietest stuff I've found for rain gear yeah. myself. So that that's my my rain gear, anyways. Looks like I'll be putting that on my list now. <laughs> I um, think as far real quick on the equipment, I think one thing that's like a little bit of an afterthought. Obviously, everyone's bringing their bow and their optics and their clothing, right? Their mm-hmm. boots. Um, but especially for the first timers, what if you get something, mm. right? So for myself, I'm bringing with two 120 quart coolers. Usually, we're deboning them or at least quartering them out. Um, and with the state regs now, you know, you, you have to do a lot of that. But game bags. Yeah. So like on the mule deer hunt and even some of my whitetail hunts, it's it's quartering them up, packing them back to the truck, and then maybe maybe deboning them, you know, the next day or something. But I think that's uh, coolers, your game bags, a good knife. You know, those type of things, too, are pretty important to, to already have set up. Yeah. You plan, know, know, know what you're, yeah. Plan for the best. Yeah, plan for the best. What if you do get one? How are you going to get it out of there? Do you have the right pack to haul the meat? Do you have game bags to keep it clean? You know, do you have enough cooler space? So those are things you want to think about too. Yeah. What about when you are starting to, you, you got your animal, you're cutting it up, uh, the whole process of going over state lines with carcasses. I mean, I know I don't think all of them are the same, but I know a lot of states are starting to change the way yep. you can transport stuff. Yeah. What have you guys ran into or have seen? Well, it's just something you got to pay attention to. You got to read the regs for not only Minnesota, where you're bringing it back to, but also the state you're coming from. If you're hunting like a CWD zone, they might have like a check station that you got to go to, or maybe you have to get your animal tested kind of thing. And that's just, uh, you know, that's the legwork before the hunt actually even yeah. begins. And I think I think for most most states now, it's, what is it? It's no brain matter, no yeah, spinal, no spinal, no spinal cord or column, right? Yeah. Which we, as far as the spinal stuff, for me, for you're not our, bringing it when you're quartering we're it, out. it I, I bring a vacuum sealer with, um, so we butcher our own deer, mule deer, whitetail, whatever it may be. When I come back home, I get to my house, I put it in the freezer, it's all done. I have all my trim bags, I have all my steaks staked out, vacuum sealed. Um, so we're not bringing any bones across the border. Now, if we are fortunate enough to shoot a really nice trophy animal that maybe you want to get a full mount done, you know, you're putting that shoulder mount on the wall. That's where you do have to fully cape it then, and you can't bring the skull back. So you sure. fully cape the hide all the way off, yep. you know, roll that up, get that in your cooler, and then you got to saw the, you know, the skull cap off the skull and leave that, leave that in that state. Now, this yeah. might be a dumb question, but I have no idea. Like, once you debone this thing, are you just leaving the carcass out in the field where you shot it, or do you have to, like, remove you, it somehow? Yeah, you got to look at the state regs on that, too. A lot of the western states you're fine with that you know a lot of times you you're quartering it out you got to leave evidence of sex on it you know in one way whether it's a doe or a buck sure so you look at your regs but a lot of the western states you can do that Mm -hmm. you can quarter them out leave the carcass there right as long as you've done it proper and you know there's no want and waste type you're taking the meat that you need to Um, but there are certain states that you can't so you gotta you gotta watch that a little bit so then have you ever done that before where you had to remove the whole thing Where, where do you take them you guys know? Are you talking as far as the... The carcass, the, the bones, carcass. all that. I guess I... I, I don't think not, I ever have. I, I haven't either. I haven't. No. So I'm... I don't know. That's a good question, but yeah. I, I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, another topic I wanted to just touch a little bit with, physical condition. Are you guys... Like when you're planning these hunts, you're going out there. I know Adam, I talked before on another podcast with Adam about that awesome treadmill he bought. <laughs> just got it set up today on my day off that's fantastic did you get to use it no no <laughs> hurts the resale value on it <laughs> but brandon got the same one and they said he was really coaxing me along to get me to use it yeah and I, I can read between the lines because he wants me to be his little sherpa uh, in north dakota or wherever we're gonna end up yeah i need a big guy to pack out some stuff yeah, you got to get in shape. You know what? I actually had Jason in the Brainerd store packed out like three fourths of my deer one year, and I don't think he even noticed the weight on it. He's such a <laughs> big Paul Bunyan looking dude. <laughs> Best noted. pack out I've ever been on. <laughs> Bring a big guy with when you go out of state. Right. Yeah, you don't need the fastest guy to go with you. Just your, just a guy that's yeah. got a lot of grit. Yeah, your hunting partner should always be bigger and stronger than you are. <laughs> just not too big. So if he rolls an ankle, you got to drag a Ooh, big yeah, hulk good out point. of the, the valley there so do you guys do much exercise like 
I mean, I, I try to. You know, obviously prepping for the hunt, you're shooting your bow as much as possible, right? Dialing in your equipment, making sure broadheads are working good. But as far as the the exercising goal, I try to as much as possible leading up to the hunt, hike. I, I would imagine like going, you know, Dakotas, eh, probably don't need to work yeah, out too it'll, much. It'll still kick yeah. your butt if you're not ready for it. Versus if I'm going for some goats up in the mountains in Alaska or oh, something. Right. right. Well, quite a bit of difference in terrain yeah. there. Yeah. yeah I mean, but even like the hills you put on in in nebraska dakotas that western plains stuff it is surprising how much it'll sneak up on you the landscape looks pretty flat you're not trying to summit a three thousand foot elevation gain in a mile right it's it's like oh that hill's just right over there i just got to go down this one and up the next and you do that and then you do it again and then again and again and again and all of a sudden like you look at your on x if you're running your tracker and you gained 3500 feet of elevation and you lost 3400 feet of elevation that day like it's it's surprising where it doesn't look as big, so I think you're more apt to just go for it, and it it can get you. Yeah, and I mm. think the biggest benefit of, especially on a mule deer, elk trip, antelope, some type of spot and stock, maybe the whitetail one's not so bad, um, is day two, day three, day yeah. four, right? So you're putting these miles on, and the better shape you can be in, you know, as you get towards the end of your hunt, when, like you said, you're, you're learning more, the hunt should be getting better, right? You've been doing some scouting, maybe you're getting stuff figured out, you want to physically still be feeling good because that's going to mentally keep you in the game. If your feet are hurting and you got blisters and your back sore because you're out of shape, mentally you don't want to walk that extra mile. You don't want to go to the next hill, and you're totally decreasing the value of your hunt and the opportunities that you could have if you were in a little bit better shape. I think that even comes to fruition whitetail hunting. Oh, like sure. some of the mm. like we did a western whitetail hunt this year, this past year, and it wasn't like physically demanding. But whitetail hunting is, is, can be just as hard, if not harder, by the end of the week. You know, sitting in a stand or, or hanging in a saddle and putting on the miles in between. You know, if you're, yeah, I'm a little tired from yesterday. I didn't get a great night of sleep because you're, you know, camping or in some nasty motel bed that just isn't as comfy as your that bed. That Adam was in the night before. Yeah, something like that, right? <laughs> um, you know, the, the drive and if you're not feeling up for it, the, the difference of like midday scouting versus not, oh, I can just go back to camp and I can take a nap this afternoon. Yeah, you can sleep when you're dead, you know, right. <laughs> we can, we can grind through this. So the, the better physically prepared you are for any trip, but it's a physical preparation, but also the, like the mental fortitude to be able to just push. Mm-hmm. Then real quick, uh, when is the right time to start planning for these hunts like i know is like there are a lot of application deadlines coming up pretty soon there is yesterday yeah. is the best time to start planning yesterday was Story the day of life <laughs> yeah no you there's no nothing's too early to start planning yeah. if you're doing something like this in a lot of these states are a lot of them are over the counter you know so if you've missed a deadline you can still go hunt there's mm-hmm. plenty of states to go over the counter but if you are going to a state where you have to apply i would say you want to start doing that in December or January, right at the first of the year, maybe you're done hunting Minnesota, you know, end of January or excuse me, end of December comes around and the Minnesota hunt's done. You should be, if you're going to do it, you should be starting to plan already. Mm-hmm. So early it doesn't have to be intense, but even, all right, I'm going to spend 20 minutes tonight. Right. I'm going to look at one area on, on X on this state, and I'm just going to see if it looks like it's good or not. And I'm going to, you know, you can have a list going of stuff. You can have stuff highlighted differently and you can, you can kind of have a lot of stuff done in your free time, you know, even sitting down watching TV at night, uh, some stupid shows on, right. I'm going to pull my phone out and I'm looking at maps. Right. Yeah. And I, th- I think people get intimidated too, like trying to find the spot, right? Yeah. The secret spot or the right spot. Well, there, there isn't any of that. Yeah. There's no but, secret spot anymore. No, but they're pretty much from my experience and that's hunting quite a few different states and different species. There's so much land to hunt. There's so much public land. When you go out there, if you just have that mindset, that you're just going to keep pushing, you're going to keep walking, you're going to keep glassing. Maybe you got to drive an hour to the next spot. You'll get on game. You'll mm-hmm. find it if you have that mental drive. So it's not, there's no secret spot. You just have to be willing to look and hunt and not yeah. go back to camp for four hours middle of the day, right? It's an all-day deal. And if you keep pushing, you're, you'll be successful. Yep. It Absolutely. Sounds, sounds like pretty much, you know, if, if you're hesitant on doing something like this, just go for it. Yeah. Do it. Get out there. Have fun. Make oh, memories. Yeah, yeah, What's the worst that time. can happen? You spend 700 bucks and spend a week hunting somewhere else. Hunt, hunting's pretty fun no matter what, right? right? right. 
Well, when you say what's the worst that can happen, I think about your your buddy. That, <laughs> that. The antler to the face. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was kind of a... Well, that's one other thing that I think I'm going to change in some of my, uh, uh, my pack lists is from now on, <laughs> uh, on whatever town or shanty or campground I'm planning on staying in, I will have uh, relevant medical contact information for, and I'll find the closest places to that. Did so you guys have a first aid kit? We did, but it was at camp. You better explain what, what happened here. Yeah, I was gonna say real quick. Just <laughs> he brings the Crocs, but not the first aid kit. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, one of those things, right? Weight, weight savings. We might change that. So we were on an out of state hunt. I'd shot a buck, and we we're loading it in the back of the truck. I've never loaded a deer with three people before. It's just usually it's me and one other guy or just me. And, uh, you know, one guy was on the tailgate, two of us swung the deer in and he must've bent down to help grab it. And he ended up taking a tine to the face, um, cut him underneath the eye and like hit him in the bridge of the nose, right? Where you're like, eye socket meets your nose, right? Tine went in like inch and a half, a lot of blood. Anytime you get a facial wound, there's a lot of blood. So it was, it was pretty hairy for the first like 30 seconds until it's like, oh, it didn't hit your eye. It's, you know, or your things brain. are, or it, <laughs> it might have nicked his brain. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so then it was like, okay, buddy, number one, get on your phone, find, uh, you know, urgent care that's open. And we have like one bar of cell service. Right. And I think the closest town was like 40 miles away or 30 mm. miles away. Um, and it was just kind of pandemonium, but like, luckily it wasn't that bad of an injury. They ended up giving him a little, you know, basically gluing it shut and, things were on the up and up again. It but, was insanely close to hitting his eye though, wasn't it? I, I mean, you talk one inch, one inch to a half inch different. And that could have, it could have been way oh, yeah. different. So that was, that was kind of one of those things where it's like, I've never actually, like, on these, all these trips I've been, I've been very, very fortunate to where like the worst injury is, you know, sore tendons and sore knees and sore feet just from pounding hard. Um, so to actually have something happen where it was like, Oh yeah, we should grab our med kit. Oh, it's back at camp, and that's thirty miles this way to the to the east. But the closest town's like thirty miles or forty miles this way to the west. What you know? What one do you do? Yep. And it's like, well, at this point, it's so close to your eye. Why don't we just like do the smart thing, get it checked out? Your wife is a nurse; she would probably approve of this. You know, let's hmm. let's do the adult thing here. Um, but that's something that I'll probably actually take take more into consideration for the future of just like having some information of medical areas that are around or urgent cares or you know that kind of stuff that and heading back to what we talked about the gear that you're bringing first aid kits folks first aid kits keep one in your truck keep one in your pack like i have one in my pack when i'm mule deer hunting all the time because for the most part i'm alone um and and knowing how to use them you know a, a guy can go take a class and learn some basic stuff and and be okay um, but yeah, just being prepared for that kind of stuff. It was weird. Crazy story. Well, Hey, I want to thank you guys for taking your time out today and hanging out doing this podcast. I hope it was informational. I hope we got some good points across. I hope with people listening, I hope some of you guys go out there and try an out of state hunt. And if you do come into the store, tell us about it. We want to hear your story. We want to see some pictures and, uh, I don't know anything you guys want to add before we go. Yeah, I mean, even if you need advice on like, hey, me and my buddy or me and this group of guys, we're planning on doing this. Odds are, if it's within a couple states, someone in our store has probably done it or done something very, very similar to it. So, you know, there's there's hundreds of thousands of different gear options as far as clothing, packs, boots, socks, tents, whatever, all this stuff, right? We can... We can gladly just share some information with you. Like, hey, this is what I used. It worked really good. Or, hey, this is what I used. And, you know, it didn't work that great. I don't think I would recommend that. And, you know, any of us here are here to help with that kind of stuff. Even if it's as much as, like, changing an arrow setup for an antelope hunt versus, you know, going out elk hunting, maybe you want a little heavier arrow setup. You know, that's that's all stuff I think every one of us mm-hmm. at the store are willing to help with. And if you come and ask me and I don't really know the best thing about it, I'll direct you to Brandon or Adam or Troy or like, you know, the guy that can give you that relevant information. Right. Yeah, we have people all the time ask us, hey, when's the deadline for this? I want to buy a point or I want to put him for that hunt or or just ask us questions like, hey, do you do you need points for the state? So even if you got questions on a hunt you might want to do, maybe we'll know, maybe we won't, but we'll be willing to help as best we can. Or point you in the right direction. Right, yeah. right, yep. Awesome.
Well, I want to thank you again for listening. I hope it was helpful. Uh, Adam, you want to say bye? Goodbye to all my loyal listeners. I really appreciate the support and hope to see you in the shop soon. And again, hit like and subscribe and keep listening to all of our podcasts. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, we'll catch you all next time. Hope you enjoyed. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to Archery Country Podcast. 